Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, this week's show is about the benefits and challenges of whole house electrification. Now, I was the guinea pig on this project. I moved into a 50-year-old San Jose house in January of 2019, and I decided that you know this is a good opportunity to convert it to a complete 100% electric house. So with rooftop solar and changing out the appliances, we're now 100% carbon-free and negative electricity. kind of oversized the solar system, so should get some money back from our friendly utility. Now, I learned lots of good lessons along the way, and it was not as easy as I thought. There are a few things I do differently, but you know, all in all, all the changes that we made worked out great. We're saving a lot of money, and most importantly, my wife is happy. So there's both economic and environmental reasons to make this kind of a transition to an all-electric home, I'm getting rid of the natural gas appliances or anything else. Now, from an economic standpoint, with inexpensive electricity, mostly from solar, and all-electric heating, cooling, cooking, hot water, and electric vehicles, It's cheaper in almost every single situation. So if your electricity is relatively cheap because we have new heat pump technology, it's cheaper than natural gas appliances. Now, the only exception that I found is heating your swimming pool. And also with an EV, if you've got an EV... A gasoline car may still be more cost-effective and cheaper to run as long as gas stays really cheap, under 2 or $3 a gallon. Once it gets over about that, then electric vehicles make even more sense. Now, we talked about economics, because that's what really drives the market, but a lot of people are also interested in this from an environmental standpoint. So from that standpoint, an all-electric home is clearly better as long as the electricity is generated from non-fossil fuel sources. Obviously, rooftop solar, non-fossil fuel, utility-scale solar, community solar, wind, even nuclear is not fossil fuel, so it's going to be better for the environment. Now, if your electricity comes from a natural gas power plant or, or coal, there's really no net environmental benefit. Some people say that it's actually worse to convert to electric appliances. That's kind of a little bit questionable. But if you've got renewable energy producing the electricity for your area, for your home, certainly that's the case here. Here in Silicon Valley, it makes total sense. We're in a very good environmental situation. Now, I've done a lot of other shows covering some of these environmental benefits, including California's carbon neutrality goals and things like that, cap and trade. Now, I'm not going to really worry about that on this show. We're not going to talk about global warming. This really concentrates on the specific electrification measures that you can do for your home, and some of these translate to businesses, but you can do for your home, that are going to also reduce costs. So I started my electrification project with a home energy analysis. And we used to call this an energy audit. And what's interesting here is the combination of California's relatively mild climate and efficient building standards mean that traditional energy retrofit projects often don't have the fastest payback. Now, I did some research on this about 10 years ago. I did a white paper, and it's on our website, called Reducing Home Energy Costs. And the conclusion of the study was surprising. In most cases, even around the whole country, in most cases around the country, it was clearly more cost-effective to generate cheap electricity with rooftop solar than to undertake major energy efficiency retrofits like insulating existing walls or installing new windows or installing a brand new heating system. The reason is that solar's gotten really cheap and you can generate electricity or you can generate heat cheaper with solar than it would cost you to kind of make major changes to the building shell of your home. Okay, so do this home energy analysis. Once the energy analysis was done, it's easier to prioritize kind of how you want to approach this. Now, I did my electrification project in roughly the fastest payback order. And when you're talking about replacing major appliances like the furnace or the air conditioner, it's 
generally best to replace those when they break down. And that's when you want to install the electric versions. It doesn't always make good sense to take a two-year-old, you know, hot water heating system and put in a heat pump. But, you know, if, if your hot water heater is 10 years old, it makes sense. But it's really important. And the reason why you have to prioritize and prepare for this is some of these electrical appliances require a lot of electrical power. They require a 30 or 40 amp circuit breaker, and you have to prepare for that. Okay, so here are the electrification things and the money-saving measures that I did. Number one, I did an energy analysis. Number two, I ran my appliances, changed the way I'm operating my house. When electricity is less expensive, it's free. You just have to change your controls, change your habits a little bit. Number three, I did the easy and cheap changes like LED light bulbs and internet thermostat, a variable speed pool pump. The next thing I did was put in rooftop solar with a battery backup system. Next was I upgraded the electrical panel. You could install solar pool heating. I didn't do that. We'll talk about that. I installed heat pump heating air conditioning system. I installed a heat pump hot water system. I replaced my gas appliances, my range and my gas dryer with electric versions, and I installed an EV charger. Okay, so now we're going to kind of dive into these things in a little bit more detail. So after the energy analysis, the next thing to do, because it doesn't cost any money, is try to run your appliances when electricity is the least expensive. So look around your house, see what's using a lot of power, and run this equipment, including some of your gas equipment, because they use electricity, when electricity prices are low. And this is really relevant when you're on a time-of-use rate. So if you have an EV or if you have solar, that's the case. Internet-connected thermostat is really handy to schedule your HVAC use when, when prices are low. It's easy to adjust temperatures remotely when you're traveling or you're gone for the weekend. So those things aren't that big a deal. You can get a relatively cheap one for probably 100 bucks. You can spend more money and get a Nest. So that's good. Now, things like charging your electric vehicle. Obviously, if you're on the EV rate, you want to charge your electric vehicle at night. The cheapest time is currently for a standard EV rate between between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. Now, here's the next thing I realized. You can run your pool pump at night. You don't have to run your pool pump during the day. That's when the pool guys do it. But if you have a quiet motor, a quiet pump, run it at night. Save a lot of money that way. I mean, heck, that was like an epiphany to me. Run it during the day. It might be 37 cents a kilowatt hour. Run it at night. It's 13 cents a kilowatt hour. All right. Wash and dry your clothes, particularly dry your clothes when rates are cheapest. Drying, especially when you have an electric dryer. But even if you have a gas dryer, and obviously your washing machine is electric, running these motors during peak times isn't good. Run them at off-peak times. You can also, you know, if you have an electric dryer, you want to make sure that you're not using that dryer between, you know, at really peak times. I have a little sign on my dryer that says, don't dry the clothes between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. on weekends, because that's when the rates are highest, and that's when my wife and I are home, and we always have to be reminded of that. Now, next thing to do, once again, really cheap, sniff out all of the vampire power loads in your house to reduce that 24 by 7 energy use of plugged in appliances. You can put in remote control power strips. You can make sure that, you know, things that are kind of always on. I mean, heck, I've been to houses where they have projection rooms, where they have a projection TV that's running like all the time. It's crazy. So make sure you turn all these things off and you can save a lot of money. So just by adjusting your habits with some really cheap control systems, you can do this. All right, next thing. I call it tackling the low-hanging fruit. These are the easy and inexpensive changes. Now we're going to spend a little bit of money. 
It's a no-brainer to replace all of your old incandescents and even your compact fluorescent bulbs with LED bulbs. The light quality of the new bulbs is excellent. Some LEDs have dimming capabilities and paybacks are generally less than a year just in terms of the reduction in energy use. I also bought easily installed LED tube fluorescents. I thought that'd be really great because I have fluorescents in my kitchen. They all use 40 watts. I think there's like eight of them. That's 320 watts. And I put LEDs in. But I didn't want to change the ballast because that was going to be like more than a one-hour project. So I bought the LED tubes that work with existing ballasts, and surprise, surprise, I didn't really see a big reduction in the power consumption in my kitchen because the ballast still used a lot of power. So something to think about in the future. All right, fix any air leaks you have in your house. Leaky door and window seals, making sure that your ducts are, are tight, you don't have any air leakage, that's not that expensive to do. And contrary to conventional wisdom, duct tape is not what you use to seal up your ducts. You have to use this special foil back tape that lasts a lot longer. Now, if your attic insulation or ceiling insulation is really old or non-existent or small, you might consider upgrading the easily accessible areas to a much higher R value. So what I did is I spent about $3,300. I took out all of this 50-year-old, decayed, crappy, you know, disgusting insulation and i put in blown in r40 cellulose installation so that's like way way better it goes from it's probably like r8 to r40 and the insulation that i had was below the level of the rafters so it was probably pretty crummy so we did that relatively inexpensive if you have a swimming pool consider Installing a variable speed pool pump instead of a conventional single speed pump. These things are standard right now. So I put in a variable speed pool pump, 1600 bucks. So quiet, I can run it at night. I can't even hear it. Yeah, my hearing's not as good as it used to be, but it's just really, really quiet. And this is a standard thing. That was 1600 bucks. So altogether, I spent about $5,000 on these low-hanging fruit energy improvements with paybacks less than three years. So that was pretty good. All right. One of the big projects was installing rooftop solar power and also consider putting in a battery if you're worried about the blackouts. Now, after the easy and cheap energy reduction changes, in almost every single case, the next best step is to generate your own electricity, which you can turn into heat with rooftop solar. And, you know, that's kind of, we talked about it earlier. It's a bizarre result of cheap rooftop solar that it's cheaper to generate more electricity than to conserve it. I mean, the the conservation people help hate that, but it's the economic reality. And keep in mind also that you've got this 26% for 2020 tax credit that applies to solar. It applies to any battery system you're putting in. And it also applies to any other work that's required as part of a new solar power system, such as maybe partially re-roofing your house, or if you need a whole roof on your house, maybe the section underneath the solar can qualify for the tax credit, or very importantly, upgrading your electric service. So if you have an old 100 amp service or old 125 amp service, or even if you have an old 200 amp service with, you know, arcing breakers, this is a good time to fix that and upgrade that. So for me, the 12 kilowatt system, I just kind of went a little bit overboard. I wasn't sure how much I would need because I wanted to make sure the house was heated and cooled. And I also thought about doing my pool, but I didn't decide to do that. I put in a a little bit of a a larger system, but I know my wife is going to get an electric vehicle in the next few years. So we'll have two EVs and it's worth it. And I also put in a battery backup system with two batteries, two inverters. One of them is an EV charger. The total was about 55,000 after the tax credit. Now, when I kind of looked at the energy use of my house, it's clear to me that a basic eight kilowatt system would have been enough for my needs because I did some conservation things. And that would have been, when talking about my needs, that's enough for 
cooking with electricity, heating my water with electricity, and heating the house with electricity. And in that case, an 8-kilowatt system would have been about $20,000 after the tax credit. So that gives you a six-year payback on the solar. It's pretty good. And now, because I have a battery, not only is the electricity cheap, but I also have backup power to get me through the next set of PG&E blackouts, which are basic. That's kind of the new reality. Okay. Now, next thing you can do is upgrade your electric service panel. And this is important because many older homes have 100-amp or 125-amp electrical services. That was entirely adequate when the house was built, but it can't handle the demands of even a partially electric household. So what you want to do is you want to take care of this upgrade now because an EV charger is going to draw 40 amps, a heat-pumped heating system is going to draw 40 amps, a heat-pumped water heater is going to draw 30 amps, an induction range is going to draw 40 amps, and electric dryer is 30. So you kind of add all these things up, 100 amp, 125 amps is not enough to cut it. It's also going to limit the size of the solar you can put in now. So take care of this upgrade now because it's going to take several months to complete with your utility. And if you do it with solar, you can apply the 26% tax credit for 2020 to that electrical panel upgrade. And and the other thing, the reason why it's really important to do this now is it's really infeasible for older homes to convert to it, to take out the gas appliances, the gas hot water heater, the gas furnace, because when they die in the middle of the winter, you're in a hurry to get heat back or you're in a hurry for hot water and you can't wait to upgrade your electric service. So you got to prepare for this. All right. So for me, upgrading my old electric panel cost about $5,000 after the solar tax credit. Okay. Next thing, consider putting in a solar pool heating or a pool heat pump. Now, heating a pool can consume more energy than even your HVAC equipment. Now, most people heat their pools only occasionally. You know, when I, when I would, would have to heat up my pool, it would be $75 in natural gas just to heat the thing up for a weekend when the kids would want to swim. Luckily, the kids aren't home that much. My wife and I don't swim. I don't really bother with heating the pool, so that's kind of off the territory there. But if you do have a pool and you want to heat the pool, the best way to do it is with solar pool heating panels, which basically circulate pool water up to panels on your roof and back, and it works really, really well. Super fast payback. You can extend the use of your pool, and it makes a lot of sense. Another alternative, which makes sense in some regions, depending on weather and electric rates, is to use a heat pump to heat your pool. Some of my friends have that. Okay. Next thing you can do is replace your gas appliances. Replace your gas dryer with an electric dryer. Replace your gas stove with an electric stove. Now, most homes are already equipped with a 240-volt electric dryer outlet, so so getting an electric dryer is easy. At, At current electric and gas rates... It makes sense to convert to an electric dryer if you have rooftop solar and you can run your dryer during off-peak times. If you need to run your dryer during peak times or don't have solar, it still might make sense to stick with gas. So what I did is I put in a new electric dryer because when I moved in, the old owners took their dryer and washer with them, so we just bought an electric dryer. It's working great. Now, the other thing, consider replacing your gas range with an electric cooktop range. These things are fantastic. It's not the same as those old-fashioned red-hot glowing coils. They use magnetic induction to heat your cookware, and it's just really fast. It's better control than gas. The only downside is that we have some old aluminum nonstick pans, and it doesn't work with this cooktop, but it's in every other regard. It cooks faster. It's more controllable, There's and there's no toxic fumes, except when my wife is stir-frying hot peppers. So when we did this, replacing the old gas cooktop with an induction cooktop cost about $2,100, including the installation. Okay, lots of people have electric vehicles. You can charge your electric vehicle from the 120-volt outlet, but it's 
going to take you 10 or 20 hours. That's called a level one EV charger. If you have your service upgraded, it's easy to put in a 240 volt level two charge, and that can fully charge your car up to four times faster. In order to do that, instead of having a separate charger, I have a second inverter, second solar inverter, that in addition to being an ordinary solar inverter, it has an EV cord on it, so it can actually directly charge the electric vehicle from the solar. And that was an incremental about $2,000 after the tax credit, which is pretty good. All right. Now, next big upgrade that I did, and then, you know, one was solar, the other was taking out the old air conditioning and gas furnace and putting in a heat pump HVAC system. A home's biggest energy use typically goes towards heating and cooling. And natural gas furnaces have been the standard for almost 50 years. But the new heat pump technology is just as effective as natural gas in almost every place around the country. And it's clearly cheaper than gas to operate than if you have solar or if you have cheap electricity. What's kind of cool about it is you've got one compressor unit outside, and that compressor unit works as an air conditioner in the summer, and the flow of coolant, refrigerant, it's not cool anymore, it's refrigerant, goes backwards in the winter, and it actually cools the outside more and sends the heat into the house. So my house, it's kind of you know getting towards winter, it's cold out, I got plenty of heat coming from my heat pump AC. It made sense for me because my air conditioning compressor was dead, the furnace was old, and the ducts were in bad shape. So, you know, what I did is I just said, rip all this old stuff out, put in a four-ton dual-zone heat pump heating and cooling system. Total cost was $26,000. With two zones, it's easy to control. I heat the downstairs in the evening. I heat the upstairs at night. Super quiet. I can't even tell when the thing was running. Really, really good um, from a major manufacturer. I'm totally comfortable with that. Okay, next thing, and this is kind of a new technology. Replace your tank or tankless hot water heater with a heat pump hot water heater. Now, heat pump domestic hot water heaters have been on the market for 10 years, but plumbers don't even know about it. This is kind of new technology. It was bizarre when I called around to try and put one of these in. there was like plumbers said, oh, you know, I, I do electric hot water heaters. We have flash hot water heaters, but I never heard of a heat pump hot water heater. Now, basically, it's a standard tank hot water heater, minus 65 gallons. And instead of a gas burner at the bottom, it has a heat pump at the top. And what that heat pump does is it takes heat out of the surrounding air, mine's in the garage, and it actually blows cold air into the garage and the byproduct of the cold air going into the garage is really hot refrigerant. So you heat the water up to, you know, I have mine set at 130 degrees. So it looks like the regular tank. It's plumbed in the same way as a regular tank. But you're basically capturing waste heat in the surrounding room and converting this heat into very hot water. It also has internet control. So you can kind of remotely say, hey, I forgot to set this thing down. I'm going on vacation. Let me, you know, turn my water temperature down to 80 degrees and I'll turn it back up when I get home. So really, really good. Now, when you talk to your plumber, I want to be really clear. It's not an electric or a gas flash hot water heater. Those are the things that kind of go outside and, you know, it's instant hot. They use a lot of gas or they use a lot of uh, electricity. This is basically a tank, highly efficient heater. And in almost every single case, these things are more efficient. If you have solar, it's really, really great. What I learned about the electric or gas flash hot water heaters is they need maintenance every couple of years. We had one at our old house. And sometimes the cold water would just, the hot water wouldn't come out. It would just fluctuate. And that was because there's mineral deposits that accumulate in those things. And they need maintenance. They need to be kind of purged and cleaned out every couple of years. So for me, I took out my old gas hot water heater. I put this heat pump water heater in the garage in the exact same place with the exact same plumbing. And now I got cold air coming off the side of it. My wife 
And there's a shelf next to it where she keeps the fruits and vegetables, root vegetables, potatoes, onions, things like that, near the outlet of the hot water heater, which is cold air. It's kind of like a little mini refrigerator. So it's kind of cool. Now, here's the thing with these hot water heaters. Even though some places have pretty good rebates for it, San Jose has a rebate, the Silicon Valley Clean Energy had a rebate, California might be putting a program in place. The dilemma is... When you you wake up in the morning and you see a puddle on the floor in your garage near the hot water heater, you've got to fix that hot water heater right away. Your hot water tank is shot. It's rusted out. And sometimes you don't have time to upgrade your electric service if you want to put in one of these electric things, if you don't have an outlet over there. So it's a good idea to prepare for this. You know, talk to some friends and, you know, find this is the time for you to make sure your electric service is upgraded so you can handle the 30 amp service that this heat pump water heater is going to require. Or just make sure that your electrician's got an outlet near there. It's a similar outlet to you have for your dryer. You're going to need a separate circuit, but just prepare for it because when your hot water heater goes out, that's not the time to start thinking about, do I want to change? Do I have to get set up for this thing? Because... You want hot water in two days. Otherwise, you're going to be taking a shower you know, at the, at the gym um, until this thing comes in. All right. So kind of to wrap up, obviously, there's environmental benefits to going to all electric, especially if you have solar, you're not generating any carbon and no fossil fuels. But I kind of looked at this, the cost in two ways. I looked at the cost in terms of the deluxe system with the battery and the larger solar system, EV charger, everything like that. I ended up spending about $94,000 for this deluxe system with all the upgrades. And you know, this is just something that I moved into an old house. We had set some extra money aside when we you know, got a loan. So we were able to do that. But if you were to just say, I want to do the basic complete electrification without, say, a battery charger, a kilowatt system, maybe you're going to use your existing EV charger, you can get away for probably less than $50,000 if you shop around. And that would be with new HVAC, new solar, et cetera. So that's the cost. You know, call it 50 to 100 grand. And now the savings, I haven't been in the house a full year yet, but I was able to kind of compare four months with the old equipment in the spring with four months with the new equipment in the fall. Not exactly apples to apples, but pretty close. It looks like I'm going to save about $6,200 per year at current electric rates, which gives me an eight-year payback. Now, the payback on these different things is, is varies. The payback on the, the low-hanging fruit, the LEDs, you know, less than a year. The payback on the solar, six or seven years. Slower payback on replacing the old EHVAC system it was, and the hot water heater and the cooktop because they weren't enormously more efficient, but it was just time to replace those appliances. It's just kind of a standard maintenance cost. Okay, so my recommendations, pretty simple here. If you're retrofitting a house, go through the step-by-step list. Do the energy audit, and then just kind of look at what you can do. Clearly, and I'm not just saying this from a, a selfish basis, but clearly solar and upgrading your electrical service are really important to do because that's going to give you cheap electricity. And prepare to replace your furnace and your hot water heater with electric appliances when they die. That's the most cost-effective way to do it. Now, if you're putting in a new home or doing a major remodel, go all electric, especially for a new home. Research is really clear. The cost of running natural gas lines to the house is much more than the incremental cost of the electric appliances. And all electric is safer, better comfort, better control, cheaper, cleaner, and especially with solar. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast.